You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Employee Safety Podcast. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today's episode features Stephanie Bilbro, the Director of Lifesaving Operations at Austin Pets Alive, also known as APA. Austin Pets Alive is an animal rescue organization located in Austin, Texas, but it's not your average animal shelter. It pioneers life-saving programs designed to save the animals that are most at risk for euthanasia. It's a wonderful organization that has saved nearly 100,000 animals over the last decade. Stephanie oversees safety, security, and facilities teams at APA, and the organization has more than 200 employees and hundreds more pets, volunteers, and foster families to support and protect at any given moment. As you can imagine, Stephanie and her team have unique safety and security challenges that range from location-based threats to communication difficulties with having so many people and rescue operations always in motion. I'm positive you'll find the conversation interesting and unforgettable. Let's dive in. Stephanie, I'd like to start with what drew you to Austin Pets Alive. What was it about the organization's programs or perhaps mission that made you want to be a part of it? Sure. So I've been working in animal welfare for about 12 years now and at a, at a number of different organizations across the country. And I just kept finding myself sort of personally at odds with, you know, either decisions that were being made or sort of policies at the organization that just sort of made me uncomfortable, whether it was in regards to, you know, rules for adoption or euthanasia decisions or anything like that. So Austin Pets Alive is now really well known for being one of the largest no-kill organizations in the country, which means they are, you know, we're only euthanizing for severe, severe illness, severe behavior issues. And so knowing that, you know, that was the mission they were really dedicated to is something that that really drew my attention. So, you know, coming here and sort of finding my people, as we like to say, um, was was a really big step for me. I think, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done in this field, and and I find that my energy and my effort is is really best spent at an organization like this, where my personal values, uh, uh, you know, uh, better align with the organizational values. Yeah, without a doubt, we could have a whole separate podcast on that alone, just talking about working mm-hmm. where you fit, where you find your people. That makes so okay. much sense. <laughs> Well, coming back to the our topics here on employee safety, what are the biggest safety and security challenges for you and your team? One of the big, big, big challenges that we face is the, the age of our facility. Our physical shelter location in downtown Austin was originally built as the city's animal impound shelter, I think, in the 60s. Um, and so it's a very basic old, you know, cinder block wood ceiling sort of building. And so there's a just a lot of challenges that come up along with the, the buildings old and, and sort of basically crumbling around us in a lot of places. You know, there's a, a lot of just regular daily maintenance work that needs to be done. There are things like, you know, we don't have a 
built-in sprinkler system because that wasn't a thing in the 60s. And so, um, you know, a number of our buildings that we've sort of had to retrofit some of our safety and security things into. Our location is also a bit of a challenge at the same time as being a a great benefit to us, you know, being central downtown, basically really great for foot traffic. It's really great for access from all parts of the city, but it also means that there is a lot of activity, a lot of car activity, a lot of foot traffic activity through our campus on a pretty regular basis. Since our staff often work early hours and late hours, that does sometimes pose some security concerns for them as well. And then, you know, we also obviously have the added risk of just working with animals. I mean, working with animals is inherently risky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no matter how many safety policies and protocols you have in place, you know, bites are going to happen, scratches are going to happen. So that that adds sort of a, an extra layer to our employee safety protocols that a lot of places don't have to even think about. Well, you talk about things like retrofitting the building with sprinklers because they didn't exist, but how do you mitigate some of the other risks that you just mentioned? So one of the things that we have worked on over the past several years is just making sure our our teams are are very aware of the surroundings. So our location, you know, we try to do a lot to make sure that our policies are so that, you know, staff isn't ever at the facility alone or they're not too far away from campus, you know, with an animal and not able to call for help, right? So everyone has walkie-talkies, but we have implemented the communication protocols using the alert media systems where we can mass communicate with our staff on a regular basis if there's something happening on our campus or near our campus. And they can also come back to us, you know, contact our administration if they need to. We've added in, for example, wireless Wi-Fi smoke alarms. Not all of our buildings can have hardwired and smoke alarms. Um, And so that's all based on a phone system. We have made sure that we have security cameras at all points in our facility. So if there is an incident, we can, you know, pull footage on that or we can even monitor remotely if we hear or see if something happening nearby. So we've put in a lot of time and resources into making sure our 60-year-old facility um, is as as safe as it can be. How many of these things, if you think of percentage-wise, you put into place based on hard learned experience versus, oh, we're just smart. We knew we needed to do that. <laughs> you know, you like to think you think uh, you can think <laughs> of all the things that will possibly happen, but that's just every week, it seems like something surprises us. So I would say a vast majority of it is, is you know, due to uh, some sort of incident or, you know, uh, and maybe not even incidents that happen with us, maybe incidents we see happen at other facilities or at other shelters that we go, oh, man, we didn't even think about that, mm. you know, and so now we're going to revisit our own protocols and, and, and make sure that's addressed. That's great. So you have a highly adaptive culture where you you look and see what didn't work, who else is having problems, and then you adapt and and modify accordingly. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it reinforces a message that someone else mentioned on this show, which is that you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. So just start, do things, learn and adapt, learn and adapt. It's an iterative cycle. Yep. It's also, that's sort of how APA came to be the organization they are today anyways. Everything is, you know, learn and adapt. And and what worked yesterday might not work today, and mm. this still might not work tomorrow. So that's sort of, you know, one of our values is innovation and, and you know, questioning everything. And so that, that fits right in there. Yeah, without a doubt. 
Well, what about animals that are in your foster care? Do you provide any resources to foster families to ensure the safety of their homes or that the pets that are in their care are safe? Absolutely. We are very, very lucky to have a, an extremely large base of foster caregivers. They take our dogs, they take our cats, they take our teeny tiny kittens. And often, particularly for dogs, they're taking on dogs that have, you know, some pretty serious behavior challenges on occasion. And so we want to make sure they feel safe and set up to properly handle those animals. And so they have the resources of our entire team is available to them. They can reach our behavior team any time of day. We do set them up with training in advance. We have dogs that have particular particular challenges. We make sure they have all the equipment they need. We make sure they have, you know, all the resources that they would need to properly handle those animals. And our staff is available 24-7 to them as well. We also make sure that they're given any handling equipment they need and that we can sort of talk them through any incidents that might happen in their home. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but percentage-wise, on average, how many animals do you, I guess, represent, for lack of a better term, that are on-premise at your facility versus in foster homes? On any given day, we have between... 300, between 250 and 300 animals at our facility. And then we have another, depending on the season, because infamously kitten season runs through the Texas summer. And so we get a, a really big influx of kittens during that time. So we can have anywhere from 600 to 1,000 animals in foster on any given day. Wow. I didn't realize that was the ratio. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Yes. So it's almost like remote workers, like suddenly everyone had their workers leave. And <laughs> yeah, <go. laughs> essentially, essentially, yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, we really want to push that even more. I mean, for the majority, mm. the vast majority of these animals, you know, they came from homes and they're going to do better in a home. And so it's our goal to put as many in the foster as we possibly can. So it does add some challenges, you know, when you can't, mm. when you can't have your eyes and your own hands on every animal and every person. Without a doubt. Yeah. Well, you talked about communication earlier and the importance of staying connected to your people. So I'd like to dive just a little bit deeper into that. How has communication helped you keep your people and your pets safe? Communication is a really big piece. I mean, it's really the only way we're successful at anything, right? We have so many people in our organization, not just staff, but hundreds of volunteers, hundreds of fosters. So we have to have systems in place where we can reach everybody if needed. And so... Having a solid system, you know, like the alert media system where the two-way communication is is set up to be really easy has been a big help. I think, you know, one of the big instances that stands out is when we had the big winter storm, Yuri, came through early last year where essentially everyone in Texas was cut off, right? It felt like we were all sort of living in this post-apocalyptic world where, you know, <laughs> Many people had no power. Many people had no water, right? Cell phone batteries were on 1%. It got really difficult to stay in touch. And we had many staff who couldn't make it into our facility. The majority of our volunteers couldn't make it into the facility. Thankfully, we had done a lot of prep work ahead of time. And so we didn't have nearly as many animals on site as we normally do. But we needed to be able to stay in touch with our team. Not only the people who were on site, but also the people who were at home to make sure they were aware of what was happening at the facility, to make sure that they were safe, right? We needed to make sure that all of our staff, all of our people were safe where they were to be able to assist them if needed. And so I think that was a really good example of, you know, it sort of tested the boundaries of our communication systems as they existed at the time, because it was not 
as much prep work as we did, it was, it still was much, much worse than anyone anticipated really. I Mm. think, you know, we didn't, we had a, a lot of challenges at the facility, you know, not only power outages that led to water breaks that led to, you know, a, a handful of other challenges at the facility that we, and many of our management, our administrative staff couldn't make it in the facility either. So it, it really was truly like a very small number of staff members who were trying to sort of manage everything on the ground uh, at the facility. And we, m- many of us trying to help them <laughs> remotely the best we could without actually being able to get there and help. So it it was a really big challenge, but I think we also took a lot of lessons learned from it and have strengthened our, our protocols even more to the point where the, the last sort of winter storm that just came through about a month ago that some people were a little nervous, it was going to be the, to the same extent. And we were much, much better prepared and, you know, had all of those, all of the organization around our processes had come as a result of that storm a year ago. And so that that helped a lot in sort of identifying the gaps and being able to figure out what we could shore up. Did you have people that were basically stuck on site? Maybe not stuck, but they had to stay there to take care of the animals and they just didn't leave for days and days? (laughs) Yeah, we, well, we tried, we had done some prep work ahead of time and made sure we actually put up staff in hotels nearby Mm -hmm. that were within walking distance so that if the roads were not passable, they could still get in. And so we had some of our shifts and some of our days were just that handful of staff. They were walking from their downtown hotel to come on campus. We did have staff staying overnight. We thankfully had enough people that no one had to stay for days and days at a time, but it was many of the same people, you know, for four or five days in a row that we're having to work in those conditions. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And for any organization, even if you don't have to be responsible for animals on site, it's good to know your local hotels and to have them on speed dial. So if you start seeing anything weird going on, just go ahead and reserve some rooms just in case. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, if I recall correctly, APA also helped some other animal shelters in Texas during that storm. Can you tell us a little bit about that too? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, for as old and sort of run down as as our facility is, there are many, many shelters in Texas, particularly in the rural areas that are much worse off than we are. They have shelters with maybe five or six kennels. They don't even have a roof. You know, they're, they're just fencing runs, basically stuck on a property somewhere. And so many of our regular partners were really scrambling for help and considering euthanized animals just to not have to worry about them during the storm, you know, or because they weren't sure if they could get to the shelter and they didn't want them to suffer. So there was a lot of our partners were, were really in trouble, but we were able to reach out to many of them in advance or right after and make some arrangements so that we could pull some of their animals into our shelter or into our foster home. So we were able to get some to us just before the storm. Um, and then we continued to take some afterwards as shelters were dealing with kind of the aftermath and the cleanup portion. And actually out of that was kind of born our nationwide transport program that we now run as one of our major programs at APA. And so we're now we're regularly pulling animals from under-resourced shelters all over Texas and sending them to shelters up in the northern states that don't have nearly as many adoptable animals available as as we do down in Texas. And so it sort of created this much larger program um, that now we're able to to help so many more animals. Well, that's great. Something good coming out of something bad. That's fantastic. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, what did you learn from that experience that could perhaps help some of our listeners who may experience similar challenges at their organizations? The pre-planning that we did, the organization that we put into place ahead of the storm really made a big difference, you know, when it came down to it. Having put employees in hotels nearby, having, you know, pre-stocked supplies on site, moving many of our animals into foster homes to reduce the workload on site was a big step for us. And so I think just a lot of it is kind of actually taking the time to sit down and think through all of the possible scenarios, even if they seem really far-fetched and just making sure that, you know, you have a plan, you know, you have a contingency plan for that and and pulling in everyone who would potentially be affected by that, right? We can't just say, oh, the executive team has all the answers. And so we'll just, we're just going to make a plan and hand it down, right? We had to include people at all in all programs at all levels of the organization so that we made sure we didn't forget anything. That's fantastic. How did your employees and volunteers feel about all the communication efforts that you had to keep them safe and informed and connected? We got really great feedback after this incident and we continue to get good feedback because we're we're continuing to make changes. I think people really appreciated knowing that they could reach back out to us if they needed to. We did have one employee that was able to contact us. It was the only way she knew how. She was able to contact us back through our emergency line and let us know that she was stuck in her house and she didn't have food. And we were able to arrange to get someone to take groceries to her house that way. So, you know, I think the staff, our employees really felt they could really tell that, you know, the effort that was put into making sure that the channels were open um, and, and we're really appreciative of, of being able to reach back out to us if needed. So we've got, we've got great feedback afterwards. Oh, that's great. It just shows how important communication is, especially when things are just not normal and people don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just looking at your time and your experience at APA, what was your best or most memorable day on the job? There are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely that winter storm was memorable. Yeah. I think another time that really sticks out is a few years ago. I mean, the so the, the coastal areas of Texas pretty frequently get hit by tropical storms, hurricanes, things like that. And ever since Hurricane Harvey, we have built up a a pretty big partner base that knows they can reach out to us when they need help. And so in 2019, I think it was, there was a tropical storm. Imelda came through and hit the Houston area. And we had a partner reach out who was anticipating getting a lot of stray animals or having community members who needed help after the storm. And so they wanted to make space ahead of time. And so they reached out and said, hey, are there any of these animals, you know, that we currently have available for adoption that you could take? The storm wasn't expected to come all the way, you know, inland. And so they asked us basically to help them clear space so they could be prepared. And, you know, Austin, the people of Austin are wonderful and wanted to help knowing that we weren't going to be affected by that storm. They wanted to have a way to help anyways. And so within a couple days, we were able to match up over 30 dogs with fosters that we could just pull directly from that shelter and they were fosters were you know waiting in a line wrapped around the building for their dogs to arrive everyone was there when the vans arrived and got to see them offload off the truck and you know they quickly got intake exams and everybody got to go home with fosters the same day they arrived and so I think just seeing that sort of community effort come together was you know a really touching and memorable moment and just really sort of really highlighted what APA is all about and how, you know, it's not just our staff 
that are saving these animals, but it's, it's really the whole community coming together is, is how we do this work. Yeah. And I think that really, I think could resonate with our listeners, even if they have organizations that have nothing to do with saving animals' lives. It's in an emergency, all the barriers break down, the competitive stuff goes away. It's all about community. Yeah. And you should proactively reach out and say, okay, if our building is incapacitated and we cannot work there anymore, do we have like a quote sister company somewhere 50 miles away that could give us office space? And can we do the yep. same for them? Like proactively think about those things because it'll make a really big difference if a disaster like that occurs. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's something that frequently comes up in the shelter world because you do have to think about, you know, where are we going to put 300 animals if and when something happens? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's not usually that that amount of planning necessarily going into, you know, contingency plans for people, but um, yeah. it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got one last question for you before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for other professionals on how to improve safety or security at their organizations? One thing that's been really helpful for us is we started a safety committee um, within our organization that consists of staff at all levels and volunteers. And so it's people who, you know, frequently work in different areas of the facility or work with different people or work with different animals. And so the committee comes together um, twice a month and just addresses, you know, potential gaps in our safety and security protocols. They will work together on projects, identify what kind of training our staff might need, um, right? Because they're hearing feedback that we aren't always at the executive level. And so it's really helpful to kind of get that, you know, feedback kind of coming from all levels. And so really just you know, going out to the people who are working in our facility every day and are having, you know, these daily experiences and facing the challenges in our facility has has made a big difference in in what we can address and what we're can put our resources into. So planning and getting feedback from all levels, I think is really what's helped us kind of step up our game. That's great. Well, Stephanie, thanks for being on the show today. Austin Pets Alive does such great work in Texas and beyond, and I'm glad our listeners were able to learn a little bit more about the organization and your expertise. Thank you. Glad to be here. If anyone wants to find out more about Austin Pets Alive, perhaps adopt or foster a pet maybe, uh, or make a donation, how can they find you? Yeah, um, so you can go to our website, which is austinpetsalive.org. It's real easy to find. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So if you just like to see pictures of cute puppies sometimes you can follow us there as well stress relief (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well thanks again to stephanie and all our listeners for joining us on the employee safety podcast if you like what you heard i encourage you to subscribe to future episodes at alert media's website or on your favorite podcast player you can also give us a rating on apple podcasts or spotify we would certainly appreciate that that concludes our show today stay safe out there everyone until next time Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. 
just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.